HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. For more information, visit www.rt11.com. Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for listening. We talk about food. We talk about music with musical dudes. Finger on the pulse, snacky tunes. Quand nous étions comme les jeunes 
Tunes. I am one half your host, Aaron Bresnitz, sitting here in L.A. with Helen Holliman, editor-in-chief of Munchies. And I say L.A. because the show's based in Brooklyn. You're based in Brooklyn. I'm from Brooklyn, but we're like, let's do, uh, let's do the interview in L.A. <laughs> yeah, we're here. We're here. It's let's great. do it. Welcome to town. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you're in town uh, because tonight, which will have already happened when the show airs, is the L.A. release of the Munchies Late Night Meals from the World's Best Chef's Cookbook. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. I heard writing your first book of any kind is like having your first child. That is an understatement. Except for you did it in six months, which would be cause for, cause for alarm. Yeah. If yeah. you were uh, pregnant. Yeah, that would not be good. Uh, so how did you get your start in food? Where did you get started? That is a long story. I, uh, let's see, I don't know. I actually worked in the uh, art world when I came to New okay. York and then sort of um, got this internship at Food and Wine Magazine and sort of ended up getting pulled into the vortex of, of food and have kind of been in it ever since. But yeah, I've done a lot of different things. Everything from writing to cooking to being a truffle dealer. Ooh. Um, what was that like? Very smelly. It's yeah. a very smelly job. Yeah. So. <laughs> and what year was this when you started getting pulled into the food world? And I ask in the context of was food at the level of pop culture that it is no, today? So no. what year was this? Ooh, good question. I think it was like 2008. So back, that was sort of right when, the way that I place it in my mind is the New York Times came out with this article that was about the Brooklyn Renaissance of sure. food. And that had everybody from, you know, um, Mass Brothers to the Frankies guys to, uh, at the time, Salvatore Ricotta, which I miss oh, so yeah. much. And, um, and pre-Roberta's. Yeah, well, it was bright. It was like year it was one. It was year one. But yeah. pre-Roberta's in the way that capital yeah. R. Yes. Let's say that. Well, it was like when you would go to Roberta's and you would wait for six hours because all the waiters were stoned and, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it was great. You know, it was charming. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah, so that was kind of right when Smorgasburg began. Sure. And, um, yeah, so definitely not. Like, food blogs became... They were just starting out. Yeah. You know? There was definitely... Uh, a shift yes uh, in it um, and so what did you see about that shift as something that you would want to latch on to and it's sort of in many ways with munchies in your future, long career sort of have been part of help shaping you know 
I think it was such a time where I sort of, so I lived in New York for a year right out of college. Yeah. I was kind of like, I don't know if I like it here. And I had finished this food and wine internship. So I went to the West Coast. I went sure. to San Francisco. Okay. I was like every cliche food nerd who was like, I'm going to work at Chez Panisse in the kitchen. Uh, like, intern. They'll pay me in bread. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I got to San Francisco and they're like, no. We don't have any room here. So like I the s- whole city or just <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically yeah. the whole city was like our restaurants are tapped. Yeah. Yeah. The mayor was like, sorry, there's literally no room. Go to Oakland. Um, no, but I actually started working for a food blog at mm-hmm. the time. It was called eater. They had Shout just out. started. And, oh, yeah. uh, Paolo Lucchese was their San Francisco editor and they had just started doing it. And there were all these interesting things like Meat Paper magazine. Oh, I love Meat Paper. It's like the greatest. Legend. Shout out to Sasha. Yeah. Miss you, girl. Um, But yeah, you know, it ultimately, I came back to New York and I needed a job. And my sister worked at Momofuku. And she said, hey, there's this girl that works in the office and she's opening a bakery. Mm. She needs help. Do you want to? Just say her name. (laughs) Just say her name. We love her here. (laughs) So... Christina Tosi Hi, Christina. was opening a bakery. and It's uh, funny, the bakery never did anything. I know, it really didn't like, take no off. Like, no bar, just like, eh, you see, you like, you just remember it. Yeah, it was a drop in the bucket, you yeah. know? And, uh, no, but it was, it was a great example of your question, which is like, at the time, it was just this idea. And then all of a sudden it became like this wildfire of connection to New York and, and people from all over were really into it. And I think that um, that's what pulled me in was actually working with people like Christina and also kind of this magical moment in food where people started to connect with people in a different way. Yeah, I mean, I remember being, because I started working in food TV in like 2001, and then by the time 2008, 2009 rolled around, it was like something was happening. And you just saw a shift. You saw like you saw people looking at food in the way they used to look at music and art and things like that. And I mean, definitely Roberta's, especially as where and where heritage is based, was like a real cultural point to it. But Vice, where Munchies is the is based, has had a long time history of sort of being a disruptor in that category. Whether it's news, it's art, it's fashion, or something like that. And I know we're jumping ahead a few years, but when did they start putting their eyes, when did you get involved on food? So Munchies used to be a show on Mm Vice.com, a a video show. And basically the premise was really simple. We would take a chef out on the town for a night. They would take us to their favorite restaurants and um, kind of eat and drink their favorite foods. Mm -hmm. And along the way probably three or four restaurants in. They're probably a little bit drunk Mm -hmm. from eating and drinking. And uh, they go back to their kitchen and cook a meal that Mm -hmm. we call the munchies meal. Sure. This was, uh, you know, before my time, for sure. Uh, I think it started in 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. Uh, I should know that. I'll fact check that. That's fine. We'll fact check. (laughs) We're not, you know, Snacky Tunes has never been known for, it's like rough facts. (laughs) We're just, yeah, in loosely terms. But yeah. the first episode was with David Chang. and uh, Again, some guy who just never... Yeah, he never took Right off the cliff, right? It's really strange. But, um, but yeah, so, you know, that first episode, if you watch it, you I can remember, tell. Oh, I remember like, it. Oh, what's yeah. What's happening here, you know? The fried chicken, Matt for chicken. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I went out for Matt for chicken because of that episode <laughs> and being like, what is this place? <laughs> well, it, it became the type of thing where... Um, 
in the second season, Chris Grosso, who is now one of our two executive producers at Munchies. Shout out to Chris. Shout out. And Lauren. Shout out to Lauren. uh, You know, really took it over and made it what it is. And so ultimately, um, about four and a half years ago, Mm -hmm. actually longer than that, five years ago, um, Chris and Lauren went to Shane Smith and they said, hey, we've noticed that like this show does really well. We actually want to pitch a food website. And Shane was like, great, go do it. So that's where they found me. And so I was hired to create Munchies, the website. So now we've retitled the whole the show to Chef's Night Out. And sure. now Munchies is a global food website. And we are in um, eight countries worldwide. Incredible. So, yeah. so let's talk about uh, Chef's Night Out because that was really the heart and inspiration for this book. Um, I know you mentioned the first episode of David Chang, but boil it down a little bit more of like what people can expect from what is now 130 plus episodes. Yeah, we actually have over 200, which kind of makes my brain hurt because it's so much content it's that over I 200. Yeah, it's like hard to keep track. It's amazing. We've we've filmed all over the world from Japan to Mexico City to Toronto, you name it. And um, a lot of people ask me like why did you guys go from you know, Vice is the disruptor. Like, why would you go to print and, like, make a cookbook? Yeah. And I think we're living in this golden era of cookbooks because cookbooks are now about storytelling. It's not just recipes, you know? So for us, like, this cookbook is really this beautiful combination of recipes that really showcase the personalities of really, like, the some of the biggest chefs in the world in a different way um and what they actually like to eat when they're not cooking for their restaurants but it also includes like funny experiences from the show like my favorite thing um you know daniel patterson of qua like he's obviously one of the greatest chefs in america who's very buttoned up buttoned up you literally literally had to clutch your buttons that's how buttoned up he is no when you think of that you think of like we are in for a very formal type of meal it's very like chef's table you know elegant and so you know a lot of times chefs come on the show and they like to get rowdy and and be really memorable but for daniel patterson he took the opportunity of the show to actually take his wife out on a really nice date oh my god (laughs) so you know his he's like (laughs) we have a night off and someone's gonna pay for it let's go on a date yeah and i'm sure she was like like the two of us she's like no there'll be cameras there but (laughs) yeah exactly and they literally so they went to three restaurants and at one point one of the chefs comes out and like brings this plate of food and he goes you guys aren't drunk like what's going on and he's like well, I don't know. We're just having dinner. And he's like, I don't know. It's weird. All I can do is like talk about our children. Like what can we, (laughs) so the section of the book, we actually pulled all the YouTube comments of like what people said about it because it's just the funniest thing. Um, and it's this great kind of reflection of what munchies really is, which is about like personality and, and kind of cutting through, um, sort of what I, sometimes like to call like the PR veneer of restaurants, you know? I mean, because it's Vice, because it is a longer format, because it is well, web and now it's also TV, not to diminish it because I absolutely yeah. have loved and made a career of digital-based content, but does that allow chefs to open up 
in a way that they may not for other networks or have an opportunity to for other publications? Yeah, I think, you know, ultimately everything that we do at Munchies, we try to be honest Mm -hmm. and we try to, to make everything feel connected to people in a real way. You know, the Vice audience isn't necessarily a food audience, and the food audience isn't necessarily a Vice audience, but it's really kind of that conversation at the table, if you will, that they're having together. Oh, yes, the table, (laughs) the great big table of pop culture, yeah. But that connective tissue is, I think, what Munchies is. So, like, the Vice audience might not know who Daniel Patterson is, but they enjoy the entertainment of what's happening um, on that episode. And so... Yeah, to your to your question, I think Vice as a whole goes to places that others don't, and they try to um, represent. I don't want to say like subculture, but kind of the stories that others aren't telling. And I think you know. I mean, I I'll say it if you don't. Say, I mean, Vice <laughs> to me has always been about subculture, uh, which is interesting because food I no longer really consider mm-hmm. a subculture, um, and I I will never ever call chefs rock stars, but I'll call them like pop culture icons. I'll call them artists in their own sense, which I think you guys celebrate in many ways. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely like 10 years ago, I remember, and you remember it, yeah. that that article that was like, chefs are the new rock stars that Kim Severinsen wrote, mm-hmm. and I was just, we were all like, no, Kim, why? Why did you say that? I know. I mean, um, we got, because obviously this is a show about food and music, and so we've been asked that question <laughs> many a times. And I go, you're asking the wrong question. You know, the question really is, is has food reached a level of mainstream status mm-hmm. and relevance that has been uh, given to music, art, sports, et cetera, and things like that? Um, what you guys helped do on Munchies? I mean, I always say this. It's like if you think 100 years ago, people used to dress up and they would go to the opera yeah. you know they would that was like a really big night out and I think now for young people are doing that but with food food is sort of like this last downloadable thing yeah. as an experience that even with music um, is becoming a different scene and I think that ultimately that's what I find so exciting about the future of like the food scene is that yeah, it's, it's... You still have to go experience it. You got to go out in the world. You got to go out in the world. Until we become robots, you know? Oh, uh, yeah. But that's, like, at least four or five years away. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I want to get a little bit into the studio and the garden, and then, obviously, let's talk about uh, the cookbook um, and some of the awesome things that are in there. We're going to take a quick break. We have a song from the archives on Snacky Tunes here on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Girl, you don't have to I just want I just want I just want 
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. Uh, we are here with Helen Holliman, editor in chief of Munchies, co-author of Munchies Late Night Meals from the World's Best Chefs New Cookbook. Uh, shout out to JJ Good. Shout out. Who's your what's up, Boo? Co-author who couldn't <laughs> be here. Um, so you know, I've been a fan of Munchies and the programming you've done for a while, but um, the biggest. One of the biggest shifts I've seen uh, from your stake in the game is when you rebuilt a studio and built a garden. And I felt that that was sort of, uh, we're not going anywhere. Like, in fact, we're like quadrupling down on what we have to offer and what we're going to say. Look for us here. Why did you do that? And what have you seen the results or the shift in perception about Munchies since you've built the new studio in the garden? So when I started at Vice, yep. we had 80 people in our office space Total. 80 in a very intimate and cozy I remember it. You, you know how I know it, was. It. I know it, it was kind of like a shoebox mm-hmm. because we were growing so quickly um, so we had to relocate obviously and now we have a thousand people in the office that I work in um, that's just in one office right we're in 32 countries worldwide at this point so when we were thinking about this new office space um the idea of creating a test kitchen became really paramount, I think, not only because Shane could potentially have a wine cellar in it, but also... Of course. Let's talk about the real reason, because the house is not enough, and you got to have the wine cellar in the West Coast, anyway. Yeah. You know, it's like, he he loves wine, I love wine, we get along maybe a bottle of one or two goes missing during a shoot, it just happens. It just happens. You know, we don't talk about it, but, you know, it became this type of thing where it's like, well, this has to be the new incubator. We can... We have all these incredible people coming through this office at all times. Why not make it actually a shooting space where we can also have dinners, um, we can recipe test. um, And so it kind of became our Willy Wonka lab, if you will. Mm -hmm. So in the process of building the test kitchen, um, you know, we had a architect who has never worked in a kitchen. And my publisher, John Martin, and myself kind of looked at each other. Ooh, John Martin, shout out. (laughs) I love you, John. (laughs) He, yeah, wish he was here today, I but know. he's uh, in New York making us money. So um, thank you, John. Thank you, John. But um, we sort of looked at each other and we were like, we need a chef to actually look at this and sure. make sure that we are on the nose here. And so we ended up asking Tin Ho, who used to be the chef oh, de cuisine yeah. at Momofuku, Sambar, and Mapesh, um, who's a good friend of mine. He looked at the plans, ripped them up, and redid it all. Good. So... <laughs> Take everything you know, <laughs> throw literally throw, throw it out. out. Yeah, yeah, and that's <clears throat> that's what he did, and and we ended up having this really beautiful kitchen space that is more useful than ever because we basically we shoot a lot of video in there. We've done a show called Moltissimo with Vitali in there. Again, um, you just find these guys <laughs> whose careers have like fallen off, and I like know. you revive them. It's it's wild. No, but, uh, <laughs> well, I actually want to talk about that because. Uh, in many ways, having Batali with the show in Munchies is some like very weird, I can't say like full circle, but a very amazing thing where he was one of the original faces of Food Network and then left because he's like, I still want to do real food. And they were like, fuck no. <laughs> and not only does he have a show on your channel, but he also wrote the uh, opening the Ford for the book. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about how that relationship was established and how he came to essentially 
introduce the world to your first cookbook? So um, we had shot a pilot with him for what would then become Multissimo. Um, we shot it with him and Aziz Ansari and Alan Yang from Master of None. It's a good episode. And it's literally just called Master of Lunch. And it was sort of like, what if we did Molto Mario 2.0? Yeah. Um, but we sort of infused it with Vice characters and, mm-hmm. and different cultural figures. So he came out onto our um, rooftop garden mm-hmm. um, and we, so I took him around and I kind of showed him all that we were growing because it's really sort of a farm. And there was just this synergy that happened between him and our entire team. And that's sort of the moment I think that he was like, hey, I really trust you guys and I'd love mm. to kind of collaborate and really see where we could go with this show. So we started doing that and in the process he's become not only an amazing friend of our brand but like I think a really important part of of what we do moving forward as well I mean it's good to have someone who has such good working knowledge and perspective uh like real perspective in the industry of like how to navigate the do's and don'ts of or just offer us some counsel well I think the thing about Batali, whether you realize it or not firsthand, like what is so remarkable to me about him is he's the most knowledgeable person mm-hmm. in a way that you can literally pick up. Like I, I showed him Wormwood and mm-hmm. he literally just started rattling off this historical, you know, archaeological type facts about it. And that is rare. And I think that when we look at like young chefs who are kind of becoming very well media trained, it, they're not his brain is yeah. an amazing resource and they don't come like that often so especially when you stray from the talking points and mm-hmm. you're like just talk to me mm-hmm. just just say whatever that's not in like the eight bullet points that's in front of you and they're like uh marinara sauce <laughs> um but having him write the open and I guess going back to what you said about trust you know chef's night out and the book itself really does have this trusting relationship, I think, between uh, Munchies and the chefs. Because the show and the book could easily be like showing them at their worst, really putting in all the bad. I mean, not all. I mean, there's some funny moments in there. But, like, you could really exploit them and the show would have been over and things like that. But to have 200 episodes, to now have a cookbook, speaks to that trust between relationships. So when did you see the shift between chefs and Vice saying, like, we're serious about food. And then when you started to put them about the cookbook, they were like, we're totally in. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, so year one and to year three of shooting Chef's Night Out, like, it was a struggle to get bigger names on the show without having to explain to them. Even with it, Chang being the first one? Well, he, he was like, why not? It's a thing with Vice. Let's see what happens. Sure. But once it was sort of established, there were certain personalities that we thought, oh, like, let's try to get so-and-so, and it was really tough yeah. to sell. And now it's the exact opposite, where oh, we're yeah. getting very big names. They don't know anything about Vice or Munchies, but they've heard of Chef's Night Out. And they. I think the thing is that since Kitchen Confidential came out, there's nothing else that really, like, showcases what it's actually like to live and breathe restaurant culture. Sure. And this show is really that. So yeah. I think for even kind of well-media trained chefs, it's an opportunity to let their hair down, show that they're actually more relatable than they might present themselves on like morning television programming. Right. 
And um, I think that that sort of idea of the trust thing, we only, you know, it's like the camera is truer than anything in a lot of ways. And it's what you decide to present on camera. You know, it's not us being like, we're going to turn you into a monster. It's like, great, we're going to take you out. The cameras continue to roll. Yeah. And that's it, you know? So, like, it's up to you to, to paint whatever picture you want. But there is a certain level of trust with them being like, you're not going to make me... If I am a monster, you'll, like, make me look at least, like, a cuddly monster. Yeah, I mean, there. if you ask Chris Grosso, there's definitely certain people who I think probably went off the rails, and we've done a, a service to them by not including sure. a lot of what didn't make the, you know... Do you have any stories you can tell? No names? Um... Yeah, I'll just say, you know, there's definitely people who I think because, like, Fernet is a really um, yeah. kind of big character throughout this show. Like, that's why we have a DIY Fernet recipe. Which is cookbook. amazing. <laughs> Which is amazing. It's like right off the bat. It's like you're going to need, by the time you get to this cookbook, you're going to need just, like, a liter of Fernet. <laughs> yeah, because it's, you know, it's it's the sort of restaurant drink of choice. Yeah. And, but there's definitely rivalries that we've seen, like, of people like Eric Anderson, who was at Catbird scene, yep. was, like, you know, talking smack about the guys from Battersby. And he's like, they said that they could, like, drink a lot of Fernet. We'll all show them, you know? Oof. And, like, drank so much Fernet, like, more than we've ever seen in this show. Um, that's really impressive. But, um, but I think that, like, that sort of... Like, that, oh, your episode was crazy. I'm going to be, exactly. I'm going to drink even more. Yeah, people will try to, like, one-up each other sometimes. Um, so when putting the book together, and I know a lot of it is inspired from the show, um, what was the idea? Because you could have taken your first cookbook in so many directions, and even the munchy stuff you could have taken in so many directions, uh, the Chef's Night Out stuff in many directions. How did you start curating it? What did you start getting the idea? What was the process? So... Um, yeah, I mean, for us, I think it, this seemed like the obvious choice because Chef's Night Out was sort of the birth of Munchies as a brand. Um, and so not only that, but we've done over 200 episodes. So, like, there's so much food on this show to choose from, and it's yeah. so much amazing food. Um, so in distilling that down, it was overwhelming because I basically had to break it out into the main categories. Yeah, and you just focused yourself. I was like, okay, so the top category is offal. Like, that was the most popular thing. People sure. were like, I'm going to cook, like, face and tongue and intestines. And I was like, that's probably not going to sell a lot it's of cookbooks. It's not going to sell cookbooks. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we basically broke it out and looked at everything and said, okay we need to have a good combination of personalities, but also categories that really for the home cook are to be things that actually work for them. Right. And so what type of recipes can people expect? I mean, it's definitely late night food. (laughs) And for those who don't, who are not familiar with late night food or was never like drunk at 19, like what can they expect (laughs) from these types of recipes? Yeah. So, I mean, it definitely runs the gambit for sure. You know, there's, there's stuff that's very straightforward, like Jamie Bissonette from Toro. Shout out. Shout out to him made a very delicious and very indulgent thing, which is literally, um, scrambled eggs with potato chips, which Mm. on the surface sounds really awesome awesome and maybe like too literal for a cookbook sure um but but there's technique in there like there if you've is. never really scrambled <laughs> eggs no but i'm serious like you know that's why uh, the famous chef test is make me an omelet like eggs yeah. are well actually i mean the thing is if you 
eat it, it tastes like tortilla española, which I think is the coolest part about this book. Uh. So everything in the book has this edge of chefy to it. Yeah. And um, there's recipes that are that easy to recipes that are you could make for a dinner party. Like we have a lot of really good seafood recipes in it that I interesting late night seafood is not what I would put together. But I guess yeah. you know maybe beyond fish and chips. Well, here's the thing. It's like Batali says in the forward. It's like these chef recipes, they want you to think that they went back to their kitchens. Oh, yeah. And took two seconds. But in reality, they thought about it and they want to impress their restaurant friends. Um, It's like, come back to my plate. It's like a magic (laughs) trick, right? Where it looks so simple. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, fuck. You're like really like, (laughs) you're like burying us right now with like flavor and technique and things like that. Yeah. 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 Beyond the recipe, though, and going back to what you mentioned before, there are a lot of really good stories mm-hmm, in here. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give a couple examples or one example of, of what type of stories people can expect that if they never turn on their oven because of this book, at least they're taking something away? Yeah, so there's, well, it kind of, I'll answer it with a little bit of a, a combination, which is that this book has a lot of amazing illustrations in it mm-hmm. from Justin Hager, who's this hilarious illustrator. And he actually watched every episode and would draw people. And one of my favorite illustrations that he did is how to drink vodka like a Russian. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Shirtless. Shirtless. Uh, With Alexi. the toast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> Alexei Zimin, who is a um, chef and restaurateur in Moscow, um, had a really interesting episode. And um, throughout it, I you know, watching him drink vodka is a sport because if it's, I did that I would end up in prison or I would be, be dead yeah. but um, but he does it well and in that process he actually um, sings this really tragic song and he's like this is a classic drinking song in Russia and um, anyway you should read the lyrics they're in the book it's great but it's I think a good example of um, learning who these people are without having to know too much about the inside baseball of, of the restaurant Or world. read a 1,200-page New Yorker <laughs> article that's very dry. Yes. <laughs> so finally, um, you know, you get the stories, you get the recipes, but what is, like, the most, now that you have the book, what's the most unexpected takeaway for you or for a reader or an insight that they might get from this book that they might not just get from the cover or from the press release? I think this book is is great for... Not just people who actually like eating food, mm-hmm. <laughs> but people who like to read. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, there's definitely, again, the technique and the delicious factor for the recipes. Um, but I think ultimately the, the storytelling behind all of the chefs who are featured in this book is going back to like our initial part of this conversation, which is that food is about connecting mm-hmm. back to people and... I don't know. Personally, when I read about all these people, I want to hang out with them, oh, whether yeah. I've met them or not. So The show is just about being like, <laughs> give me a call. Like, give me a call. I'll hang. Um, well, Helen, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Such a pleasure. Yeah, thank uh, you. If people want to get the book, where can they go? Uh, you can go to your local bookstore, or you can go online to major retailers. Take, search just, munchies. Or just look for, it's called Munchies, Late Night Meals from the World's Best Chefs. And if people want to watch the show or anything like that. You can visit munchies.tv. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so Have much. Have a great time at the event tonight. I will. Oh, yeah.
we have another song from the archives coming up, and then a live performance here on Snacking Tunes on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. The following program has been brought to you by Route 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 Potato Chips dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate. An incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 Potato Chips believes comfort food should be just that. Know where your food comes from. For more information, visit rt11.com. Alex Rose, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thank you for having me. Uh, Long time friend and hanger out at parties, first time (laughs) guest. Yeah. I think our friendship is, uh, you know, when, some people, when people are just like, oh, how'd you meet them? And you're just like, kind of like, you're like, oh, around. Well, it's like, well, like we, literally we like, met li- around. I, it was, uh, I had another friend, um, a few years back that, uh, I like, uh, oh, Jess Rotter used to be a Mexican summer. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now yeah, it's yeah, Latin yeah, Attic. Sure. Mm-hmm. That we ran into each other so much that I, we were both convinced that we had each other's <laughs> phone number and like we, that we had like obviously texted each other to meet up. And then I was like, oh, hey, I'll call you. Then I had to get her number from somebody. I was like, this is... And I feel like with you, through Ben and Maggie... Yeah, absolutely, through Ben and Maggie's. And, so and then, yeah, and then there was, like, that like, one week where, like, three nights in a row, and I was like, we should just, like, let's just call this a friendship. Yeah. Let's just... I think we're friends now. I, yeah. when, I we'll call it friends. When, uh, when we exchanged phone numbers, I think that was the real, just like... Oh, I still don't have your phone number. You can get it from me. Okay. But, I mean, but, uh, f- <laughs> like, uh, exchanging friend phone numbers is still... I don't know, you're kind of good... Your number. I don't know. It's so dorky, <laughs> especially because it's like, I don't know, because we like already had this like existing <clears throat> like foundation of friendship. Yeah. Then to sort of interrupt that and be like, yo, dog, um, yeah. I'm going to try to intentionally hang out with yeah. you sometime. Is that uh, cool? Yeah. Is that okay? Because uh, that or it's like someone you see a bunch in like six months and you're like, <clears throat> fuck, what's your <clears throat> name again? Oh, like, my God. Yeah. I know. <laughs> God, that's the worst. It's like, I feel hey. like that happened to me last night. Like, four or five times it's just like oh hey uh that uh oh god i've hung out with you like at least half a dozen times i have no idea who you're doing yeah uh so besides being a new friend and totally rad uh and playing music you have a a good history including radio which is awesome this is true uh let's talk about the show um about domino records on eastfield radio uh so the format was basically like you know obviously i played some uh new domino releases and as well as from the domino publishing catalog which is 
um, pretty diverse. So I played, you know, a mix of indie rock and new shit that I really liked. Um, it was kind of all over the place. It was that like a new, bit new? schizophrenic. Not that old, old. Not that I, I played that new, new and that old, old okay. interchangeably. Like I'd play like I'm on Duel Two, like then you know yeah. fucking Blood Orange. Or they whatever. have that deep, deep catalog. They do have a deep catalog. <laughs> Um, I knew that I was forever maybe in the good graces of um, Jeff Conklin, who, who was a great institution at that radio station. When he came downstairs from the office and was like, are you playing Amandul? <laughs> and it was just like made his day. He was like, I did not expect to hear that at 10 a.m. on a Monday morning. Like, Which is great because you know when you like get like the, the GM or the, the yeah. running station who hears music all the time. To Absolutely. Like, I'm going to get up and go talk to... like. That like that music that station was just on twenty four seven in that office and the fact like it, it was very special and um, before that you know I had a show I had a radio show in college as well um, one time I had zero listeners it was um, yeah. <laughs> I could see the listener I could see the traffic just, I just dropping just, just I'm like man I really shouldn't have played that like UK subs song or like whatever I played but. Yeah, so I did a world music and post-punk show in college. Oh, um, amazing. And that was really fun. The only listeners that I was, uh, I was 100% sure I had were like the dads of students um, <laughs> when I had college radio show. This guy, Bud, would call every couple of weeks. He was like, his, his son ended up taking over my room uh, when I moved out of my house. But like, I knew for sure that I had like the dad population cornered. And wh- which radio station was that? It was uh, KWVA. I, okay. went, I had like I had the new new, I had the oh, new it new. It was so new new. It was so it was like if it had been out for like three weeks, it was like old old. Were you and like we were like tracking for the uh, for CMJ and stuff like that? Uh, tracking for CMJ, and then also just like it was. I happened to be there like at the rise of blogs. That's when I was on. <clears throat> so like any demo that someone coughed out um, <laughs> would just make it. It's like yeah, we got like a fifty six kilobyte rip and i was like that is great we will we will put that on the air and we will awesome. yeah we will we would like rip songs from myspace players to play I, I oh mean, amazing yeah so oh god yeah yeah shit that would not fly now Ripped at all so many mp3s to play on the radio yeah. um i know a lot of people a lot of people do use um spotify and like other streaming services to to dj and it can really tell the difference you know like you what can. if the internet what if the internet would well i guess this is an internet station so if the internet down uh went down we'd be fucked but yeah i mean there's a new um that new streaming service that's coming that's gonna that's like there all the tracks are like flack files mm. and it's like 20 wow. bucks 20 bucks a month interesting so you know pick up your d- they're flat it's like um uncompressed no like you don't lose any uh audio Lossless, they're gigantic yeah, files, yeah. which oh, is crazy yeah. that they're doing it streaming. So, like, I'm not really sure how. How is that? How? Yeah, how's that going to work? That's amazing. You need, a, you need one of those uh, college T1 connections. Yeah, yeah. You need, like, <laughs> um, all right, let's hear a song. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Forget, sure. Forget compression. Let's hear it live. <clears throat> yeah. What are you going to play cool. for us? Oh, what am I going to play? Uh, I don't think this song has a name. Um, you know, some some further background. I uh, don't actually play shows. Or have any Which recordings. is why this is so great. So this is very special for me. Um, I, you know, used to play co- the coffee shop circle in Seattle, which is very embarrassing. I can't believe I just said that out loud. Um, so this is actually the first time I've played like just me and a guitar. Um, it maybe six six years. Well, I mean, your your biggest downfall is that you talk about it in your Instagram. 
profile? I, I, I will tell you, despite the fact that I don't play publicly, I spend probably an hour, you know, 30 to 30 minutes to an hour every day singing and playing guitar. It's just yeah. like part of my life. I think you really downplayed it because you're like, oh, I don't know. And that opening song was great. So Yeah, I don't know why I wrote a song in French. It like came, I was drunk walking home from a bar, um, maybe like... Th- Three or four weeks ago. Oh yeah, all of these are very new. To, I don't. Um, I don't know. This is the new new. That's it's new, it's new. the new new. I, I come from that like jazz improvisation mindset where I'm like, if you can't play it right the first time, why play it at all? Okay. All right. So let's uh, get. Okay. Well, let's call this track number one. Oh yeah. It's actually two weeks in a row where we have unnamed new stuff that's like just not named. So. That new new. That new new. Wow, it's really loud. I'm sorry, Liz. I'm going to turn this down a little bit. Is it too late now to change your mind? Do we have to go? In this grand garden There's no more malaise So you come outside And pay me mind And I will see what Milady thinks If she might Call on me tonight She is out of sight, you know I'm right. She is luxuries, she is dreamy things. She's a lady in the high castle whose empire never ended. And I, I, I feel alive. Inspired by some mad god I will arrive if she Calls on me tonight I hope she Calls on me tonight Great uh, what was it like uh, in the Seattle coffeehouse <laughs> circuit? And what year was oh it? God. Yeah, this was like um, 2007. Great. Um, you know, pretty bleak. Lots of uh, people tamping espresso drinks. and huh. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a Seattle band's. Um, the Blood Brothers. Blood Brothers. Have you ever heard oh, of them? Wait. I'm going to see them. Who is I know God? they're doing that massive reunion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. I have tickets. We saw Everyone's them at... So uh, FYF, and they were incredible. <laughs> I mean, like, they, I mean, when we saw them, they played, I went to school in the Northwest, and they played all the time. They actually mm-hmm. did my radio show in college. Wait, where did you go to school again? University of Oregon. Okay. Yeah. I went to the University of Washington. Mm. Damn. Get the fuck out of the station. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, they came on the radio show, and they were dicks. They came here? Oh. No, no, no. When oh. I was in college, I was so excited, uh, and they were just dicks. And from, like, the first, like, ten seconds, I was like, this is a... Terrible idea. <laughs> um, 
By the way, so 2007. Yeah. What was the... Uh, any any contemporaries? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, this was sort of around the same time as, um, you know, Tiny Tiny Vipers, I guess, was kicking around. She she was a solo girl. Contemporaries. I don't think any, like, big names really rose out of that. Um, but sure, like, yeah, Tiny Vipers was, you know, she was signed to Sub Pop and put out some records and had a pretty small following, and I really liked her music. Um so I guess it was kind of like that. It was just like me and an acoustic guitar. The songs were very different. I mean, not that these are like very mature, but they were very adolescent and bratty. Yeah. What was like uh, a topic of the... I feel like I was always like trying to come up with like like clever ways to, to basically be like, I'm stoned, but like, but like in a clever way and like sing about it and be like, oh, like I'm like, I think, oh God, I can't even believe I'm talking about this. I think I wrote I wrote a song that was like I arrive red eyed but ready. Wow. wow. Why? Like wow. no, just no. Yeah. I look back I just look back on that. I don't I actually don't even really remember most of those songs. I probably written, you know, in my mind maybe like 40, 40 songs and I, I don't I only kind of remember the ones I've written recently. Uh, what was your knit cap your knit cap game like? My knit cap. Yeah. Oh God, I did. I had like a frumpy girl hat for sure. Um, it was frumpy great. girl hat. That's what my yeah my friend Luke calls it. <laughs> frumpy girl hat. Um, I never thought about it, but I guess they are kind of frumpy. Like they're not like great. They were you know like those ones that sort of sit farther a little farther back in your. Oh, forehead. I lived in the Northwest. You don't need to tell me about the frumpy girl hat. <laughs> I was just kind of seeing if you subscribed. It was great for the weather though. Yeah. It's like, oh, just throw this on. Yeah. If, it, if it gets a little wet, it's okay. It's like not that expensive. It's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then your hair is kind of dry. Yeah. You get kinda. to wherever you're going. Yeah. Dry enough. Yeah, dry enough. The, the Northwest motto. Yeah. It's dry, dry enough. enough. <laughs> I'm not going to use an umbrella. God, why would I use one of those wonderful human inventions to stay dry? Uh, so uh, saying that you like play 30 minutes to an hour a day but not really playing, like, what is the kind of inspiration mm-hmm. for it or... Um, I've, you know, I, when I was younger, I used to, uh, sing in choirs and, um, I did musical theater and stuff like that. So I think it's just a way to stay in practice. Um, I, I, you know, I sing in bands occasionally. I, I was a part of Household, um, which was a Brooklyn band, um, played maybe seven, six or seven shows with them, um, earlier this year. So I kind of bop around. I, I prefer to sing, um, but I've, you know, I've spent so much time. I feel like it was like after I broke up with my ex-boyfriend like a year and a half ago. I live by myself now, and I'm like, oh, cool. This is like a practice space and an apartment. <laughs> I'm bored. I like pick up a guitar and like. Don't tell your landlord; they'll charge you more. Oh, uh, yes, it's a practice space and uh, apartment. We can charge you more for that. <laughs> I mum's the word. Yeah. Greg Flip. Is that really is? Put put your earmuffs on. Yeah, Wait, that's his name. Greg Flip. I definitely and thought he, he was a scammer. And he's in, re- and he's in real estate? <laughs> he's in real estate. So what does he do with apartments? Uh, well, I'm sure he flips them, rents them. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Thank you. I think it's short for Filopovich. Actually, my landlord um, was in a boy band in, um, where is his family from? Uh, a very small island from... Um, Anyway, um, on the opposite side of the world, I don't want to say Fiji, but where is it? oh, well, I'm blanking on it. But he was in a boy band, and I looked up pictures on the internet when I googled him to make sure that he wasn't a fake person. Yeah, flip. 
Darren just went through trying to find a, a new apartment and uh, awful. It was like <laughs> two bedroom for uh, in Williamsburg for a thousand bucks a month. Just wire me the money and we'll send you the keys because I don't want to come down unless the, <laughs> from upstate unless the money's not real. And that's like uh, okay. <laughs> sure. Dude. I'm just gonna burn this. I'm just gonna light this on fire and send you a photo of this. Um, Seriously. Why don't we get another song? Sure. Crank another. This is <clears throat> new new part two. Cool. Northwest. <laughs> Are you from Seattle? No, I'm from Austin, Texas. Okay. Ooh, Definitely. what's your favorite place to get migas? Ooh, that's a great question. Oh, I, I have an answer. Um, <laughs> there's a migas taco at a window on Mainer, East Mainer. It's called Taco Mex. It's next to a laundromat. Okay. It's the best. It's miga. Technically, it's migas. So I cheated and answered with a breakfast taco. That's fine. Yeah. That's still still acceptable. It's, yeah, it's a good answer. Cool. What about you? Polvos. Oh yeah, polvos is great. Favorite potentially favorite meal in the world. Absolutely. Polvos, cheese, flour tortillas, black beans. Really? Oh my god, polvos is so good. What do you want from me? I'm a man of simple tastes. <laughs> you know, I'm just really comfortable with what's going on in my surroundings, and I just need migas from Austin. Uh, I, yeah. Anyway, I could talk. God, uh, let's just talk about Mexican food for the rest of our lives. Where's your favorite Mexican food place in Austin? Um, I actually I agree with you. I think Polvo's may be one of my favorite places. Um, Boom. See you, Greg. <laughs> I mean, I'm not arguing. What about in Brooklyn? Uh, that's a harder question. Yeah. Um, I I don't have an answer. Honestly, it's all it's it's okay. I mean, there's you know where I wandered by that I haven't been in a while is Mexico 2000. Where is that? Uh, it's on Broadway. It's in the back of a bodega. Oh, I've heard about this place. Uh, which has been around for a while. I don't know if, if it's, like, good so much as, like, it's cheap and it's, like, 
in the back at like of a bodega and it's okay. it's rad. It's next to Trophy Bar. Darren, do you remember? It's something like yeah, you Mexico took me there. 2000. Yeah, you took me there. It's still around. It's a bodega. Yeah. It's, it's probably. I, I wonder if it's good as it as it as I remember it. Yeah, it could be. It could be one of those like it was good because we were uh, broke. We were broke, <laughs> and it was down the street, and like just the location about it was great. But I'd be afraid to go back there and it'd be like, oh, it's just not. Oh man, how, how many things are better in life because it's you're you're broke and it's down the street. I'm not just talking <laughs> about food. But um, yeah. Um, actually, there's a place not far from here where we are. Um, I f- I'm trying to remember this. Trying to remember the name. It's on Flushing and Knickerbocker. Um, they have a great torta. Really? Yeah. Okay. Shout out. Yeah. Shout, shout out to that torta. <laughs> shout out to that torta on the corner. I think, I think Free Williamsburg did a roundup of like the ten best taco places, and yeah. they only came up with eight. No. <laughs> there's a bunch of places. It, you have to go like one or two. It's like around these stops. That the best uh, like uh, Mexican food is in Williamsburg. I heard recently that that triangle space on Flushing is finally open. Do you, did you hear about this? Mm-mm. The one across from Life Cafe. There's just that property that's a triangle. It's been there forever with like a outside space. Oh, yeah, Montana. Yeah, yeah. It's open now. It's apparently. not Montana's. They they did. They opened a bar. I walked by it not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. They finally opened something there. That's that's crazy. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe we'll get a maybe we'll get a good roundup like for uh, Mexican food and coming. I just I just think it's impossible to have great Mexican food here, but that's just it's the, it's hard. And actually, you know, I like La Superior. Um, come to think of it, um, their new restaurant I think it's called um, Serviceria. Yeah, that's the one I was yeah. yeah. going to mention. Oh, that's really good. so. Been yeah, twice lately, good deal, good prices. It's good, good prices. Like they have good good drinks, good beers. It's all like imported beers from Mexico and. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would agree with that. I live across from Loco Burrito in uh, <laughs> on the Graham Stop, so I can walk over there in my pajamas yeah. and just get a burrito and just go back close. home. Close so that's my to favorite. Change. Yeah, I remember when La Superior opened. Uh, I used to get in fights with the managers because they served things traditionally, uh, and they're like, "I was like, okay, and I've been like, that's not how it's eaten." And, from where, like, from Mexico, and we're like, "Oh, I know," but I'm in the states, and we would get into like epic, epic fights with them of their like <laughs> toe the line, like just you need to eat it this way. And I was like, "I'm a messy eater. Can I just have a, can I have a knife and fork?" So, but they're great, and their foods are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I want to make sure we get time for one more song, but um, since you're not playing out that much mm-hmm. where how can people potentially find you when you do like hop on cameo side? friday night <laughs> secret yeah. secret vocals or guest shows or side Let's projects see. with uh, um, certain john chavez i do I, I have a project called west wing and i'm mentioning it here so that it sounds more real based on the show neither of us have ever seen the television show all right perfect well, is winter coming? Because winter is coming. Get those first four seasons; it's perfect. <laughs> winter is coming, and that's when we will have band practice again. Um, cool. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. This has been yeah. really fun. Yeah. This is really chill. We're just like eating pizza and hanging out in the back of Roberta's. It's awesome. Yeah, today is like a good buddies type snacky tunes. Yeah, shout out to Jay Strell, who's been our silent guy in the corner. Yeah, I can't wait Ooh. to drink this. Uh, Jay brought us um, homemade what? Negroni, bottled aged. Barrel aged Negroni. Oh, yeah. Experimented with those. That's awesome. Nicely bottled. And then next week, uh, I'll be gone for a little bit. Uh, I got to see who's on. But we have uh, Toy Cities on next week, which would be awesome. And And Psychic Trend the following week, which would be great. 
It's like doing it will be a cameo as well. Oh, uh, she's that's with black kids. As oh, right. oh, yeah. look at that. Look at that full yeah. circle. She, she's great. Um, well, okay. we'll be out and um, just want to say super excited for the Flyers tomorrow at the Garden. This is maybe the year. Oh, man, and it's fall. I guess it was fall during last week's show. Yeah. It was really. Not that you would know, but happy fall. No, it's all reversing. It's summer right now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, shout out to Cameo. I'll be there Friday night at 11.59 when the doors <laughs> open for the late night. Uh, one more from Alex Rose. Take it away. Cool. Thank thanks, you. Thanks, everyone. All right. This is also, um, I wrote this last week. <clears throat> new, new part three. Yeah. So it's kind of, I mean, all my songs are kind of rough and demo-y. See this? Capo is amazing. Okay. I am flesh. I am business. Oh, touch me. I am sick. I am strong. I am lustful in this abyss. Formed, I am not full. I'm a great divide. All is a mess. So kiss me, baby, while I'm wild and free. And tell me, Judas, are you my priest? Listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.